again and be able to share a little bit more time with the community. Julie and I were able to come in Thursday night and spend Friday and Saturday with the community here and it's been wonderful. So thank you for welcoming us, making room for us. I'm excited about what God is doing among you and what we can sense that God is doing and going to do among you. I'm glad that my family, my wife's parents are here, and my sister-in-law and her children, thank you for being with us today. They just, they didn't drive all the way from Oklahoma to be here with us, but they just happened to be in town, so thank you. They probably would have driven all the way, though, right? Yes, no doubt. No doubt. So what I want to do today is talk about being a prophetic community. This is what I was assigned to do. Pastors asked me to talk about what it would mean to be, as the ancient future people of God, what would it be, what would it look like to be prophetic as a community? And so I want to lean into that assignment and talk today about, about that calling. And I, I want to say right up front and first that when we talk about being prophetic, you can't have a narrow understanding of prophecy. There are there are prophets who are prophets in the kind of stereotypical sense, who predict future events or have supernatural insight. But that's not the kind of prophecy I'm talking about this morning. There's a place for that that has its, its, own, its own standing. But that's, that's not what I want to focus on. I want to focus on the ways in which all of us are prophets. This is, you've heard, I'm sure, talk about the priesthood of all believers, but we also believe in the prophethood of all believers, that all believers are prophets. This is what Moses says that he wants. You remember there's a story that Moses prays for these elders, and they begin to prophesy, and Joshua says to Moses, let me stop them so that you are known as the prophet. And Moses says, I would that all of God's people were prophets. And that is what Christ has brought about. He's answered Moses' prayer, and we are all prophets and it's that sense that I want to talk about this morning. So thank you for being here. Let's pray and we'll, we'll jump in. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the ways that you open up time and space for us, the ways that you make room in your house for us and welcome us as your guests, as your family. God, I pray that we will be present to you today as you speak to us, as we hear what it is you're calling us to be and to do as a people who live out the prophetic life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So what I, what I want to do, I mean, there's, there's so much to talk about, obviously, when you talk about being a prophetic people. But I, I want to focus on one person, and that is Jesus' mother, because she is, in many ways, the prophet per excellence, because she's the one who bears the word. Prophecy is, at its heart, the bearing of the word of God. And Mary bears the word in a unique way. She receives the word and carries the word to full term and brings Christ into the world. And in that way, she's, she's a model for us of what it means to be a prophet. So what we're going to do today is look at a few scenes from Mary's life, ways in which Mary embodies prophecy in this broad sense, not, not the narrow sense of predicting future events, but this broad sense of bearing the word of God into the world and, and then seek to imitate her and to leave here today seeking to be like the mother of Jesus so that Jesus can come alive in us. So we'll start in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1. We'll, we'll start at the beginning of the story. How it came to be that Mary is the prophet. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth 
to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Notice how specific all of this is, that God's, God's work begins somewhere with someone. And God's work here will begin with you now, that God is, is coming to someone somewhere at a particular time. This virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. So here's this appearance of the angel prophesying to Mary that she will bear a son, that this son will be Jesus, and he will come in the way that so many other appearances have come, with an angelic visitation, a, an assurance that she's favored of the Lord, and then the call to be calm. Do not be afraid. And I'll, I'll just say in passing that this is one of the signs of the presence of our God. He calms us in his presence and says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And, he, and so he does to Mary, and then says to her, you'll, you'll bear the son. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. So here is the moment of prophecy. The Spirit will come upon you, and you will receive the word. You will conceive the word. And now, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, here am I. Just, just in the same way that the prophet Isaiah had said, here am I, the servant of the Lord. So this, this is very purposely meant to echo that story. You remember Isaiah is touched with the coal, right? That the angel comes to him, declares that he is called to be a prophet, touches his mouth. Who am I to bear this, Isaiah says? I'm a man of unclean lips. He touches his lips, makes him holy. Here am I, send me. And Mary is reenacting that Isaianic moment. She's reenacting that moment. Except now she's not touched by an angel with a coal of fire from the altar. She's touched by God, the Holy Spirit, with the altar itself, with the sacrifice itself, with the priest himself, bearing him in her womb. And she says, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Let it be. Let it be. And this is an echo of the creation story. You remember in Genesis 1, how things came into being. What did God say? Let there be, and there was. Let there be light, and there was. Let there be land, and there was. Let there be animals, and there was. And let there be. God says and calls all things into being. And now Mary echoes back to God the let it be, and new creation comes into being. So that God establishes the first creation by saying over it, let it be. And then his own creation speaks back to him, let it be, and something new emerges. So the heart of prophecy then is to say, let it be to the happening of God in your life. We're all prophets in the sense that God 
wants to act through us and in us and to be a prophet is first of all, first and foremost, to say yes to what God wants to do in your life. It's to say, yes, I will let the word happen in me. It's to say back to the creator God who said of you, let it be, let it be. It's to answer God's let it be with your own let it be. To say yes to God's yes to you. God has called you and you respond with amen. Let it be to me exactly as you will. Let it be to me according to your word. So to be a prophet in this broader sense is simply to be a person who has agreed to be the kind of place where God can act. To be the site of God's activity. You remember in the beginning, there is water and the spirit hovers over the water. It's the same image that we have here of the spirit hovering over Mary. He hovers over the water and out of that calls forth creation. And then think about Sinai. Here is the mountain. The spirit descends upon the mountain and settles upon the mountain. And then from that place, the voice of God speaks out. The commandments are given. Or think about the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God settles and rests. So to be a prophet is to be the sight of what God is doing. Now this, this is key. You're not doing it. You're just where God is doing it. To be a prophet is not to be the one who is the word of God. It's the one who bears the word of God. It's not my word that brings life. It's his word happening in me that bears life. The, uh, on Friday night, I tried to make a distinction between advice and counsel. And this, I think, is, is key. Advice is my word to you. Counsel is his word to you. Advice is what I think. It's my idea, it's my word, it's my opinion, it's my perspective, and it arises out of my experience and out of my consciousness, but counsel is his word, and it's happening in me. It's happening through me, just as this happens with Mary. She doesn't conceive this child. She doesn't work for this child. She doesn't plan to have this child. She doesn't even ask to have this child. She simply says, yes, God, I will allow you to let this happen in me. I will allow you to take shape in my life. So to be a prophet is to say yes to God. But you have to know what you're saying yes to. Because pregnancy is to bear a burden. And this is the way the prophets are, identify their calling over and over again in the Old Testament. They will say, the burden of the Lord came to me. Now, I've never been pregnant, but I've been pretty close to a couple of people who were pregnant. My mother, for one, and my wife, for another. And... <laughs> So I, I have some knowledge of what it means to be, what it means to be pregnant. And I know, this, I know this much about pregnancy. It changes you. It changes you in the most obvious ways. Your, your body changes. Your, your diet changes. Your tastes change. Your sleep pattern changes. And to be the kind of person who will say, I will be the site of God's work in the world, is to say, I will let my life be changed. I will let you expand me. I will let you stretch me. I'll learn to eat for two or three or four, depending on if you're having <laughs> twins or triplets. I, I, I will learn to sleep for two. I'll learn to reposition my body in the bed so I can know how to be comfortable because now it's not just me, it's me and the word. And so part of what, what we, we have to learn to do is, is live in such a way that we're protecting the word that's been seeded into us. The pregnant woman has to guard her body, not for her own sake, but for the sake of the life that's been seeded within her. And we have to live that way. We have to realize that as we're living, moving about in this world, we have to care not only for ourselves, but for the word that's been seeded in us. 
We're, we're, we're protecting what God has given us, the life that God is bringing to life in us. So to be a prophet is to be the kind of person who says, God, expand me, grow me, change me, interrupt my life, disrupt my life. I'll learn to live with it so that what you're wanting to happen can happen. Let it be to me according to your word. And the story goes on, of course. So let's continue to read. She says, let it be. Then the angel departed from her. In those days, verse 39, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now remember, she's been told by the angel that your cousin Elizabeth is past childbearing age, but like Sarah and other women who were miraculously given children, she's been miraculously given a child. And so Mary runs to see her. She makes haste to see her. What do you think this is? Why, why is she rushing to see her cousin? I, I think there are at least two reasons. I think one is this was given to her as a sign. She was told, you will know that what I'm saying to you is true because there's another miracle that I've done, the miracle of bringing life to Elizabeth and, and her womb. And so Mary, I think, is rushing to see the sign, rushing to see that God is confirming what he's promised to her. But I think that there's another deeper reason, and that is Mary is unsettled by what God has promised to do in her. Because this, this is not just a miraculous birth. It is a divine birth. This, this has no parallel. There, there are parallels for Elizabeth's story. There are stories like that. But there's no story like Mary's. That as a virgin, you will conceive. I, I, mean, I don't know break any news to any of you, but virgins don't conceive. And they certainly don't conceive God. And yet now Mary has heard this word that without being married to Joseph, without in any way consummating her marriage with him, she's going to conceive a child, and not only a child, but God. And so she's rushing to Elizabeth not only for confirmation, but I think also for consolation, because she has some awareness. It's beginning to dawn on this young woman. This is more than I can bear. This is more than I can bear. The prophets would say it like this. The word of God is like fire shut up in my bones and I cannot be still. Now we always, in my tradition, my, I grew up in old school Pentecostalism and they preached that as if it were a good thing. As if you wanted to have fire shut up in your bones. But think about that for just a moment. We're not talking about burning your hand on the stove. We're talking about fire in your bones. That's what the word of God is like, Jeremiah says. It's like fire shut up in my bones. I cannot be still. I cannot be quiet. And Mary is rushing to Elizabeth. And so another mark of being a true prophet of God in this broader sense is that you recognize that you're being asked to do something you cannot do. This is the way of our God. He is only interested in doing with you what you cannot do without him. Nothing is impossible with God, even God working through you. I know that seems absurd. It may seem more absurd to your neighbor than it does to you, but God is, can speak through you, and he takes delight in doing that impossible thing. He takes delight in bringing his word to bear through you. And so uh, she's rushing to Elizabeth for that kind of confirmation. So one of the marks of the prophet, again, I think, so many of the ways we've caricatured the prophetic life, it's a life of certainty, a life of such intimacy with God that you never have any doubts or concerns. But what we see in Mary's life is just the opposite of that. She hears this word of promise and she's immediately afraid. 
And so she rushes to someone for help. So another mark of the truly prophetic person is you know you need help and you run to get it. The prophet is not the independent lone ranger who stands apart from the community. The prophet is someone who runs into community. The the prophet is someone who runs to the neighbor and says, I can't bring to bear what God has put in my life without your affirmation, without your presence in my life, without your consolation of me. There's a a beautiful sculpture of Mary. It's called Mary the Prophet. And it's a sculpture of her and Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is pictured as this very old, stooped woman. And Mary is this young, beautiful woman. And Mary, in in the sculpture, is holding her belly. And her hand is like this in this kind of gesture of question. And Elizabeth, this old woman, stooped woman, is reaching out and resting her hand on Mary's arm to reassure her. Right? To be prophetic is to recognize you need Elizabeths in your life. Right? To be a prophet is not to say, I don't need anyone because God speaks to me. It's just the opposite. It's to say, God has spoken to me and it's too much. So Elizabeth, speak to me. Right? It's to lean into community. And any prophet that tries to stand apart from the community is a false prophet. A true prophet of God leans into the people of God and says to the, says to the older women, teach me says to the elder men, teach me, says to the community, I need assurance that I've heard from God that, what I'm, that I'm not crazy, that I'm not, because I think God told me that I'm going to conceive God. That seems crazy. Can you reassure me? And, and, and so Elizabeth, Elizabeth does. And at that moment, notice what happens. At the very moment that, that Mary runs to Elizabeth for affirmation and consolation, at that very moment, When she hears Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. Mary's own presence brought about life in Elizabeth's womb. Because to be a prophet is to unintentionally bring God alive in other people's lives. To be prophetic is to unintentionally, notice Mary doesn't say, I'm going to go to Elizabeth so that she can be filled with the Spirit. She's not trying to fill Elizabeth with the Spirit. She's not going to bless Elizabeth. She doesn't say, I'm going to rush over there and offer consolation to Elizabeth in this time. She's running to Elizabeth because she's afraid and she's uncertain. But because she's a bearer of the word, just by bringing Jesus into that moment, even in honoring and owning her need, she brings God alive in Elizabeth. And this is what it means to be prophetic. You don't have to intend to bring God alive and everyone around. You don't have to try to make it happen. If God is at work in you, if God's word is in you, if you're you're pregnant with the word of God, then your very presence, even when you're acknowledging your need, can awaken God in other people, can draw out of them their readiness to speak, their, their, their readiness to give blessing to you. Now, I want you to think about this. This is one of the ways in which we move from being an association or a club to being the people of God, is that we engage one another in such a way that God comes alive in the other person's life. Think about what would, if, if Mary hadn't been willing to own her need, if Mary hadn't been willing to rush to Elizabeth for counsel and comfort and consolation, then this moment of baptism, the spirit falling upon Elizabeth would never have happened. So sometimes the greatest gift I give you is acknowledging that I need you. See, I I bless you most by asking your blessing into my life. 
You see, you see how that, it's not that I have something you don't have and I bring it to you so you can now have it. It's you have something I need and so I come to you and in coming to you, God awakens in you and you pour out that blessing upon me. That God, and this is true of all of God's works, when he sends you to someone, it's more because of what you need from them than what they need from you. Right, when Peter goes to see Cornelius, Peter has the message about the gospel. What Peter doesn't know is that he needs Cornelius more than Cornelius needs him. And this is where Christian mission and Christian evangelism can go wrong. We're not the people who are going out into a world that desperately needs us. We're the people who are going out into a world that we desperately need. Because if we don't go out with that need, then that God can't come alive in them. And it's, it's not from a position of strength and expertise and power that we bless others. It's from a position of humility and meekness and weakness. God says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. What should mark us as a community is not that we walk in victory and power and, and that we are exalted, that we are confident that we're always hearing from God and that we are moving from victory to victory and from mountaintop to mountaintop. No, what marks the people of God is that we know we've been asked to do more than we can do. We know that we need one another and we lean into that need so that God can be awakened in other people. And we don't have to try to make that happen. We just let it happen. We just let God do what only God can do. And by living that kind of transparent life, God comes alive in other people. There's an early Pentecostal preacher, William Seymour, who was the pastor of the mission in the Los Angeles, Azusa Street Mission, where the Pentecostal revival explodes. And he was the editor of a newspaper that went out, went around the world, had hundreds of thousands of readers. And he wrote an, an article for one of those papers on bearing witness to the truth, but he misspelled bearing. And he didn't spell it B-E-A-R, I-N-G, he spelled it B-A-R-I-N-G, that, and again, he didn't mean to do that, I'm sure, but when I read it, it hit me, that the only way to actually bear witness to the truth, B-E-A-R, is to be vulnerable enough to B-A-R-E yourself before other people, that the only people who actually authentically witness of what God is doing in their life are the people who know that they're not capable of bearing what God has put into them. In other words, true prophets are never pretentious. They're never boastful. They're never proud. They never forget that what God is doing in me is not because of me, and I can't even stand up to bear what God is doing in me. I need you, and without you, I will not be able to bring this word to full term. So the, this mark of, of the true prophet is not confidence. It's not, it's not certainty. It's not power, but weakness. But that kind of readiness to bear yourself and to say, this is too much for me. I can't sleep anymore. I wake up every morning and throw up because the word in me is making me sick. And I need somebody to help me. I need somebody to tell me, what, I, what can I eat and keep it down? How, how can I sleep? What, what kind of exercise can I do and what can I not do? That, that's the kind of, we need to lean, in, lean into each other and awaken that wisdom in, in the people around us. And so Elizabeth blesses Mary. She hears 
Mary's greeting, the child leaps in her womb, Elizabeth is baptized in the spirit, and then immediately she says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what has spoken to her by the Lord. And then out of Elizabeth's blessing comes Mary's song. So by acknowledging her need, I want you to see how how God is at work in this this back and forth between these two women. Because Mary was willing to say yes to what God wanted to do in her life, she's overwhelmed. Because she's overwhelmed, she runs to Elizabeth for counsel. Because she runs to Elizabeth for counsel, out of Elizabeth comes the word of the Lord. Because the word of the Lord comes out of Elizabeth, out of Mary comes a song of praise. This is what Christian community should be like. God is at work in me. I realize I can't bear it. I run to you for help. Because I run to you for help, out of you comes affirmation and confirmation and assurance and and all the care that I need in that moment. And because you care for me, out of me comes praise to God. Out of me comes this song of praise. And notice what she praises God for. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones. He has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Now, what kind of song is this? It's a song that celebrates the eccentricity of God, the weirdness of God. My my sister-in-law and brother-in-law lived in Portland for a while and and graffitied all over walls in Portland is this little slogan, keep Portland weird. If you've ever been to Portland, they're doing a good job. (laughs) But but I want to spray paint that on you. Keep God weird. Don't don't try to tame God. God is is wild. God is, is faithful, but he's unpredictable. He's reliable, but there's no way you can predict how his reliability will come to bear in your life. And so some of what Mary is singing is the craziness of God, the eccentricity of God. God, I rejoice that you don't do what I expected you to do. And to be a prophetic people, to be a person who is living the prophetic life, you're ready for God to do what you're not ready for him to do. Because you understand whatever you're asking God to do isn't what he wants to do. Because you could never ask for what he plans for you because it's better than what you would ask for. This is what Paul Paul says, that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. So whatever it is I pray for, the answer is going to be better than I thought to ask for. It hasn't entered into the heart of man. Eye is not seen, ear is not heard. It has not entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for us. So some of what we celebrate is the fact that God is always more than we expect, always other than we anticipated, that God is weird. And we rejoice in that, that he, he is eccentric in that what seems up to us is down to him and what seems down to us is up to him. What seems like darkness to us is light to him. What seems like light to us is darkness to him. What seems like glory to us is shame to him. What seems like shame to us is glory to him. This is an upside down kingdom. 
The, the lowly are the ones that he's interested in working with. His, his strength is made perfect in weakness. He comes to Mary precisely because she is a lowly virgin in this backwater town of Nazareth. That's why he selects her. So the fact that God is at work in your life shouldn't bring any sense of superiority. The fact that God is at work in your life is a sign that you really don't have much going for you. And that makes you a perfect sight for the action of God. You're not a spectacular mountain. That's why he can settle his glory on charisma. It's not going to be your talent. It's not going to be your insight. It's not going to be your opinion. But precisely because your opinions and your insights are weak, his strength can come to bear in you. Precisely because you are making room for his gifts, your gifts can be put in their rightful place. And what happens when we reverse that, when we put people who are naturally gifted in the place where people who are supernaturally gifted should be, we end up with shipwreck. We end up with people who, because they're operating from their own abilities, eventually, they either are exalted in their own abilities or they become exhausted with the work. But this is what we're called to, not, not to work from our own abilities, not to work from our own strengths, but to let God work in, in our weakness, to let God work in our vulnerability, to let God work in us his strength and his wisdom. Chapter two, everybody still okay? Yes. Not really sure? <laughs> Fair enough. Luke, Luke chapter two. Verse 22, let's start in verse 22. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves are two young pigeons. So we're going to keep reading, but let me just stop to say, another sign of the prophetic person is that you gather with the other prophets to present the Lord. One of, one of the reasons we gather on, this, on a morning like this week after week and do what we're doing week after week is that all of us are coming pregnant with the word and we're presenting him. We're presenting him. Now, now notice this. This is, this is absolutely key. We don't come to church because of what we need. Now, this, we've been trained to do that. We've been trained to come to church with our hands out, ready to get something, with our hands empty and open. But actually, what God wants is for us to come with our hands full. Because if everybody comes with your hands out and empty, we all leave empty. Because no one's bringing anything. We're all empty. But if we all come already pregnant with the word, already having Christ formed in us, and then we present that to the community, and we say, this is what I think God is doing in me. This is what I hear that the Lord is doing. This is what I feel compelled to do. This is what I think God is saying for us to do as a community. You can then present Christ to the community and have that blessing and affirmation. And then all of us encounter the Lord. And what comes out of this moment of Mary presenting Christ is again, the spirit of prophecy comes on Simeon. The spirit of prophecy comes on Anna. Do you see what's happening? All Mary is doing is presenting Jesus. She's not trying to bless Simeon. She's not trying to bless Anna. She's not going out of her way to make God happen in other people. She's just showing up and presenting what God is doing in her life. And because she's willing to present that out of 
out of Anna's mouth and out of Simeon's mouth comes the word of the Lord, the word of blessing. And again, you see that same pattern. Mary shows up. She presents what God is doing. That awakens God in someone else. That blessing comes on Mary, and then Mary begins to praise God. And in this case, there's this sobering line. Simeon rejoices that he has seen the Lord. He'd been promised through a prophecy that he would see the Lord before he died. And so he says, verse 29, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed. One of the things I love about this is that the work that God is doing in your life, you will never understand as well as other people around you understand it. Simeon knew more about what God was doing in Mary than Mary knew. And this is one of the ways in which God makes the community function. One of the reasons you need to show up on Sunday night or on Friday night or on Saturday morning or on Wednesday night or at the men's retreat is because there's somebody who can tell you what God is doing in your life and you'll never know it any other way. If you don't present Jesus to other people, there's no room for them to bless you and to reveal to you what God is doing in your life. This is what Christian brothers and sisters should be doing for each other all the time. At every table that's an altar, we should be saying to one another, this is what I see God doing in you. This is the gift of God I recognize in you. I can sense that the Spirit is moving you in this. That's, we're supposed to be giving one another that kind of insight and affirmation, that kind of comfort, that kind of encouragement. We're to build one another up. So we say, Jonathan, I see this happening in you, and we will see it before he does. We will recognize it before he does. Pastor Jane, we see this in you, and we will see it before you do. Right? You, you, you're living, it's so close to you, you can't see it, but we can tell. You, you put on a little weight. I think the baby's growing. Right? You look in the mirror and you see the same person, but man, no, it's not the same at all. I can, you're, you're showing for sure. I can see it in your cheeks, right? That's, that's what we do for each other. That's what we do for each other. Is that we make it clear. We make it clear what we see God doing in other people's lives. Can you imagine what we did, what would happen in this community if instead of gossip and backbiting, instead of arguing, in person or on Facebook about politics, we just looked around to see what God is doing in other people's lives and named that. Wow. We just looked around and said, I see what's happening here. So that, so that people leave amazed. I didn't know God was doing this in me. But this is, this is what's happening. So Simeon blesses them. The child's father and mother are amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And to be a prophet, to be a person of the prophetic is to receive Christ's wounds with him. You can't be the mother of Jesus and not suffer when Jesus suffers. You can't be a prophet who bears the word and not suffer what the word suffers. And so to be a prophetic people is to be a people who will be wounded. The key, the key is to make sure that you're wounded by the right things. You're not wounded because people reject you. You're not wounded because people aren't listening to you. You're not wounded because you're not being given a platform. 
You're not wounded because you're not being given the honor you deserve. You're wounded because the life of God that you want so desperately for someone else is not coming alive in them. That they're not saying, let it be. You grieve because of what you want for other people that they can't have. And if you are wounded because of what you're not receiving, that's not prophetic. But if you're wounded because other people are not receiving, that's prophetic. Your lack should grieve me more than my own lack grieves me. If you have plenty, I should rejoice. Because I'm I'm just here to serve you. I'm called into this community for your good. Now, you notice how this, I told you God is eccentric. This is upside down. The way that he brings fulfillment to my life is precisely by telling me, don't worry about your fulfillment. Don't worry about your life at all. Don't even give a thought about your life. Forget yourself. And not just forget yourself, die to yourself. And worry about someone else. Care about what God is doing in their life. What would happen in this community if every one of us showed up every Sunday, week after week, and showed up to one another day to day through the week, and we showed up not looking to receive, but simply to give and to make sure that the other person is receiving? If you, if you come, if you show up on Sunday morning and you leave without feeling anything, but you see joy on someone else's face, you should leave happy. You don't come so you can leave having received. You come because you're here to give and you hope someone else receives. And so if anyone here receives anything at all, we all are fulfilled because we belong to each other. What is good for you is good for me. And what you receive is my joy. It it brings fulfillment to me to see you being blessed by God. And if we really believe, I mean, we, we know how to do this with our children. When we see our children happy, it makes us happy. We're not jealous for their happiness. You don't see your children having fun and think, well, that's not fair. I'm not having fun. Uh, If you do, you need serious help. You need to run to Elizabeth right now. But but, what, what would happen in our community if we felt that way about our spiritual lives? Maybe God's not speaking to you. Maybe, maybe you're not having dreams and visions. Maybe you don't feel the word kicking in you. But you can see that's happening in someone else's life. Just rejoice in that. Take joy in what God is doing in other people's lives just as much as you take joy in what God is doing in your life. And what you will find is if you can do that, you'll find the baby is kicking. The baby is alive. But you've got to be concerned about what God is doing in their lives. I've got to hurry. I'm almost done. Go to John really quickly. John 2. Two more scenes really quickly, and I'll be done. John 2, the story of the changing of water to grape juice. I mean, I mean wine. <laughs> On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. One of the things I love about this is that Jesus was the kind of person you invited to a wedding. He he was the kind of person you wanted to celebrate with. And, And so a mark of a holy person is not the mark of someone you're afraid to be around. 
The mark of a holy person is not the mark of someone who's too good for you, who makes you feel guilty that you're not better than you are. The mark of a holy person is, this is someone I could party with. This is somebody that I want near me when I'm happy. Because, because here's the mark of the holy person. They rejoice in what God is doing in you. Jesus shows up at this wedding because he's happy for what's happening for this bride and groom. He's not consumed with his own agenda. He's not just there to do what he does. He's there because he's happy for this man and this woman. So he comes with his disciples and the wine gave out. And the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, I don't, cons- I don't encourage you to do this. But it's Jesus, so he can do what he wants. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother, I love this response, because mom knows her son. Doesn't matter if he smarts off, I know what he's going to do. Right? And this is another mark of the true prophet. You know that no matter what God smarts off, he's going to do the same thing. Jonah knew this. You remember the story of Jonah? God comes to him and says, go to Nineveh and proclaim in 40 days I will overthrow the city. And, and Jonah says, nope, and goes in the opposite direction. And then you know the story, the storm, they throw him overboard, the fish swallows him. Jonah finally comes to his senses, the fish spits him out. Jonah goes and says, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh repent, and God forgives them and spares them. And Jonah goes up on the hill outside the city and said, God, I knew you would do this. This is why I ran away in the first place. He says this. This is why I ran away in the first place. Go and read it, Jonah 4. Because I knew that no matter what you say, if they repented, you would forgive them because I know your heart. And what's happening right here in this wedding is Mary is saying, okay, son, fine, it's not your time. I know you. And to be a prophet is to be so acquainted with the character of God that you know what he's going to do before he does it. And what he's going to do is he's going to redeem and rescue and restore and renew. He's going to awaken. He's going to raise those who are dead back to life. He's going to have mercy on those who seem to be merciless. He's going to be kind to those who've been cruel to others. He's going to do what only God can do and bring life out of death, bring goodness out of evil. You know that's what he's going to do. And so Mary says to the servants, do what he tells you to do. I love this. Do what he tells you to do. And sure enough, Jesus goes to them and says, fill these, these barrels with water and take them to the master of the feast. But this, I want to focus just on this for now. To be prophetic is to notice the needs of others before they do. So just like it's prophetic to notice the blessing of God in others' lives before they do, It's prophetic to notice the needs in other people's lives before they do. Think about what's happening here at this wedding. Mary is the first one to see we've got a problem. The wine is running out and the party's not over. And just that awareness is what leads her into prayer. And this this is what should mark our lives of intercession for one another. Our, Our lives should be lives that are so attuned to the people around us that we see their need before they do, and then we take that need to God. Now, what I'm afraid of is is that I would be the kind of person who would see that the wine is running out, and I would criticize them for not planning well. 
You know, you know, Mary could have done that. She could have said, who did they get to plan this? Who's the master of this ceremony, right? Who, who put this together that they didn't know you're gonna need more wine than this? And how many times in my life have I seen other people's need and my response was, what's wrong with them? How many times have I seen other people's children misbehave? And my thought is, what kind of parents are they? Is this, is this too much? How many times have I seen marriages coming apart? And I think, what kind of wife is she? How many times have I seen families in financial difficulty? And I thought, how irresponsible are they? But Mary doesn't say how foolish of them not to have prepared better. She just runs to Jesus and said, listen, they're out of wine. And to be a prophetic person is not to criticize for people for what, they're not, for what they haven't done. It's to run to God for what only he can do. You see their need, and instead of criticizing them for being in that place, you run to God and say, they have no wine. Who cares why? They have no wine. Whether they planned well or not, they're out of wine, and you can turn the water to wine. That, that's what intercession is about. And here, here's the truth. You'll either criticize people or you'll intercede, but you can't do both. You'll either be the kind of person who critiques people for what they haven't done well, or you'll intercede for them, but you can't do both. You will either have a critical spirit or you'll have the Holy Spirit, but you can't have both. Because the spirit is not going to share room with that kind of critique, with that kind of judgment. That quenches the spirit. That stifles the spirit. One more passage and I'm done. I got two minutes. John 19. John 19. I didn't mean to take this long. I'm sorry. You, you're just. Don't tell me that. John 19.25, meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. Now, I want you to notice what's happened. At the foot of the cross, Jesus puts Mary and John into the same relationship with each other that Mary had had with Jesus. She's Jesus' mother, and Jesus is her son. And now Jesus says, Mary, you have another son. John, you have another mother. And to be a prophetic person is to let God put you in relationship to other people, the same relationship you have with him. To be a prophetic person is to say, I will enter into relationship with you the same relationship that I have with God. I'll be a mother, you'll be the son. And from that day, she goes into his house. And then notice the very next line. After this, when Jesus knew that all was finished. This is the last work of God on the cross, is to make a family. And all of this that we've been talking about today, everything I've been saying about being a prophetic people, the end of that work, the aim of that work, the goal of that work is just to make a family. 
That's what God is doing. Romans 8, God has done all that he's done in Jesus Christ. He's predestined and foreknown and glorified and sanctified that Jesus Christ might be the first among many brothers, the first member of a large family. Everything God is doing is to bind us to each other. All of this that we've talked about today, all of the ways we've talked about God being birthed in us and through us, all the ways we've talked about running to one another in our needs and blessing one another, all of that is so that at the end of the day, God can say, mother, this is your son. Son, this is your mother. And what God wants for this community and every community is for you to be family to have the care for one another that you have for your family. You know, there's an old saying, blood is thicker than water, but not for Christians. Because the waters of baptism in which we become the members of the body of Christ is thicker than the blood that makes us kin. Water is thicker than blood for us. You are my brother. You are my sister. And I, I have a family. And that's the family Jesus put me into. And everything else works from there. That's the kind of responsibility we should have for each other. And that's the kind of joy we should have in each other. And when you, when you really realize that that's what God is about, his, all that he's doing is to make a family. Is, is to bind us together in ways in which we, we belong to each other that intimately. Mother to son and son to mother. Brother to brother father to son, then you realize what God cares about above everything else is just the way you enter into intimacy with the people around you. That's, that's what God cares about. Think about how, how many times in scripture, by this will everyone know that you are my disciples, by your speaking in tongues. By this will everyone know that you are my disciples, by the miracles you perform. You get the point. I don't have to go down the list. There is only one way that we will show people we belong to him. And that's the way we treat each other. I, I mean, I'm not going to let you spiritualize this. At the end of the day, all that matters is the way we treat each other. What does Paul say in Rome? If I have faith that moves mountains and have not love, it's meaningless. We're praying for the wrong things. We're praying for miracles and signs and wonders. And what God is saying is forget all that. Care for each other. Care for each other. Take care of each other. Protect each other. Keep the secrets that need to be kept. Speak the words of encouragement that need to be spoken. Keep your mouth shut when you need to keep your mouth shut. Share life together. Weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. That's what God cares about. And if we're doing that, we'll be prophetic in ways we can't imagine. Come on, Pastor Jade. I'm getting out of the way. Chris, I'm going to bring you back up here. So I'm going to call an audible. So you just don't, don't take that off yet. Jonathan, come on up if you would. All right, let's make a declaration. Just say, I receive. I receive. Amen. Now look at somebody and say, I need you. I need you. I, I need you. I need you. 
and I thank you. And I'm going to ask this morning if you could lead us to this table because I, I need you to show us how to do this. And I would be honored if you would come and, and lead us to the table to proclaim the gospel and, and we will have our table ministers ready. Could you please do that? Absolutely. Will you stand with me? What we're going to do today and what we do every week is celebrate this meal that Jesus gave us. And he gave it to us because I think in this meal is, is gathered all of the gospel. In, in this breaking of bread and sharing of the cup, the whole gospel is presented. Sometimes it speaks of the death of Jesus, the brokenness of his body and the blood that he shed. And sometimes it speaks of the joy that Jesus brings, the feast we have. Sometimes it speaks about the ways in which he wants to fill us up. And sometimes it speaks about the ways he wants us to take this bread and wine to those who are hungry. The whole gospel is in this meal. But what I want us to focus on today is the ways in which this is a family meal. I, I grew up in a family where every day, every day, at the end of the day, we went to my grandmother's house and we sat around the table and we had a meal together. We didn't miss it. Every day. Church, that's what we're doing right now. And at this table, we are all family. And listen, we had those meals and there were times my sister and I had been fighting like cats and dogs. But when it came supper time, we sat down at the same table. We ate the same meal. There were times I'm sure that my mom and dad were fighting like cats and dogs. I know there was. I know there was. I hope mom and dad aren't listening to this, but I know, I know there were times. Sometimes we fought at the table. But you know what? We were at the table. So listen, we can't be naive. You get a group this large and all the people who aren't here today that belong to this family, you're going to fight with each other. You're going to get on each other's nerves. Right? There are going to be times in which you just you need to step away from each other. But at the end of the day, we show up at the table. And we may even fight at the table. But we're at the table together. That's what matters. That's what matters. We, we belong to each other. So today, as we come and receive and eat, what I'll ask you to do is just come take the bread. You can consume it right in that moment and drink the cup right in that moment but what I want you to do as soon as you've done that is run to somebody else and throw your arms around them and say we're family I'm glad I'm glad you're my sister you can say it however you want I'm not giving you a formula make sure people know you know they belong to you and you're glad you belong to them can we do that let me pray and then you'll come and receive God thank you that you gave us this meal I know that on the night that you were betrayed you took bread and you broke it you took the cup and you lifted it and you said to those disciples eat this and drink this in my memory God I pray that today as we take this cup and we take this bread 
that we will realize, really realize deep down in our bones that we're a family and this is the table where we gather and whatever else is going on in our life, at the end of the day, this is where we show up. Every week, we show up for this meal. No matter what we're feeling or thinking, no matter what we're not feeling or not thinking, we show up at this meal. And we're glad, we rejoice that we belong to each other. God, I pray that there will be in this moment comfort for those who need comfort and encouragement for those who need encouragement, strength for those who are weak. God, I pray that we will leave here today, all of us, everyone who's hearing me, will leave here today knowing that we have a large, beautiful family and that you've put it together for us. Holy Spirit, we ask you to make this bread the body of Christ for us and make this cup his blood for us and make it so that as we share in it, we become like Christ. Amen. Come, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come and eat and drink and rejoice with your family.